You can spend your whole life trying to convince people to believe in Christ, but the power of God for salvation is not in your persuasive message, but rather it is in the message itself of the gospel. How can we possibly get anyone to believe this kind of message? What will people think of our Lord when he is seen as exclusive and not inclusive? Why would anyone sign up for a life of self-denial and, as the Bible puts it, being a slave to righteousness? Because in the very words of the truth, the very words of the truth, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I want to talk to you about the most important topic I could ever talk about. I'm going to spend the next few podcasts on this, and I may not even get to our main text today because I want to carefully walk through this. It's a topic so important that our entire lives, and particularly our position in eternity, depends on it. In fact, if we don't get this right, then everything else in the Bible is useless to us. To sum up this topic, I'll borrow from the Philippian jailer in Acts chapter 16, verse 30, where he says to Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? If you're anything like me, you've heard the call to salvation thousands of times, growing up in children's church, youth group, all the way through to adult church. Unfortunately, due to this repetition and familiarity with the message of salvation, we tend to tune it out. We say, oh, I'm good there, as we put our Bibles down and close our notebooks because we know that the call to salvation is our five-minute warning for service to come to a close. As routine and commonplace as this salvation or this call to salvation has become in the church, it still punches me in the gut like it's the first time I'm hearing it. And while I've observed this call to salvation thousands of times, I've never been able to shake one passage in the Bible where Jesus is speaking of salvation. And before you're tempted to turn this off because salvation is a settled matter in your life, I pray that you would first examine your life, and second, examine the message of salvation that you may be sharing with those around you. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, Jesus speaking of salvation, he says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. This is one of the heaviest passages in all of Scripture, and the burden is felt by everyone who reads it or hears it. You know, Satan has done an incredible job in the church and in the lives of Christians to water down and soften the message of salvation. And not just water it down and soften it up, but to reduce it to a magic formula, which is no magic at all, but rather poison. We say, If you just pray this prayer with these words, you will have eternal life. And yet it could be said that the hardest person to bring to Christ is the faithful churchgoer whose confidence resides in a formula they prayed many years ago. This is a gut-wrenching reality that is so hard to accept 
because God is a God of love and Jesus came to take away the sins of the world and we would love nothing more than to make it accessible to everyone as we should. The issue that believers face is that while it appears easier, and by easier I mean more palatable, more attractive, and less offensive, it could be a sentence of eternal damnation to those who put their faith in this formulaic prayer. I genuinely believe that many preaching the message of salvation have no intention of leading people astray. We want unbelievers to know the goodness of our God and what Christ has done for us on that cross. And I think sometimes we get so caught up in our achievement culture and we want to serve God so we make it a numbers game. We go door to door praying a prayer of salvation with people without ever explaining what this great salvation is. We act as though we are competing with the world for souls, so we must market Christ better and have a more compelling offer than the world offers. The truth is blurred by many false teachers who in infomercial fashion say, sign up today and you will receive everything you've ever wanted, health, wealth, and all good things, even your ticket out of hell. And yet Jesus says in Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus here speaks in no uncertain terms that he is not an addendum to our life. He is our life. In fact, in order to have his eternal life, he says we must lose our life. It is with this in mind that Paul says in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. It's as if he can hear our protests to God when we say, How can we possibly get anyone to believe this kind of message? What will people think of our Lord when he is seen as exclusive and not inclusive? It could be deemed and soon may be deemed in our culture as hate speech. We shudder at the idea that many will reject him because he's too harsh. But listen to what Paul writes again. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. In other words, you can spend your whole life trying to convince people to believe in Christ, but the power of God for salvation is not in your persuasive message, but rather it is in the message itself of the gospel. Imagine this. Somehow the most offensive message has captured your and my heart and has caused us to surrender our life to him. How is this possible? Why would anyone sign up for a life of self-denial and, as the Bible puts it, being a slave to righteousness? Because in the very words of the truth, the very words of the truth, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Someone once said to me, how do you know it's real? How do you know this salvation is real? To which I replied, because it happened to me. I can give no better reason. All I know is I saw my sins before a holy God and he led me to him through the sacrifice of his son. 
All I know is I no longer desired my life and everything within me bowed to his lordship. You may say, well, that's a cop-out. And many unbelievers are sick of Christians saying, well, it's a matter of faith. But the reality is, I couldn't tell you why he chose me to believe. I couldn't tell you why a life not submitted to him is unbearable for me. I don't know why suddenly upon calling on him for salvation, everything else in my life became of lower priority. I certainly didn't work up this belief within me, especially for a message that is so polarizing. I think of this so often and I'm delightfully perplexed because I know that in no way I could have done this transformative work in my own life. But listen to what Jesus said in John chapter 6:44. He says, "No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him." And so let me give you some relief. From this point forward, you can cease from all efforts of trying to persuade people to believe. The pressure is not on you to convert the lost. It is solely on the power of the gospel message and the work of God's drawing people near to him. Yours and my responsibility is simply to state the gospel message and watch God do his transforming work. In fact, you can feel so much more confident in the salvation of those who come to Christ through your straightforward sharing of the gospel because you will know that the only way for them to believe is through the effective work of the Holy Spirit. You see, no one in their sinful state would ever choose to follow Christ with a message like, take up your cross or lose your life, which is why it's so incredible because God does such a work in our hearts as to not only draw us to him, but to put within us the faith to believe in him. Listen, we are called witnesses. A witness is someone who has seen something and simply recounts to others exactly what they have seen. And so I urge pastors, teachers, and all Christians to disengage from the activity of trying to persuade people to believe, rather, just be a witness of this marvelous salvation. Look what he's done for me. Declare to those around you that you heard this insane message called the gospel, and somehow God allowed you to see it and hear it and believe it, and as a result, your whole life has changed. I love how one author put it when he said, evangelism is just one beggar showing another beggar where bread is. Look with me at what Paul writes concerning the preaching of the gospel in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10. Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, For am I now seeking the favor of men or of God? Or am I striving to please men? If I were still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Look at the word favor when Paul writes, Am I now seeking the favor of men? It's the Greek word pytho, and it literally means to convince. Thayer's Greek lexicon defines the word favor to mean to induce one by words to believe. Another lexicon defines favor to mean to move or affect by kind words or motives. Paul goes on to say, or am I striving to please men? The word please is the Greek word aresko, and it means to fit or to adapt or to make one inclined to believe by exciting their emotion. 
Paul is saying very simply, I'm not trying to convince you or move you with my words. I'm not fitting this or adapting this message to make you inclined to believe. For if I do these things, I am not a bondservant of Christ. I know that it is with great passion and desire to see the lost come to Christ that we fervently preach salvation. But it is with the utmost importance that in our presentation of the gospel, we do not attempt to fit or adapt or convince people to believe. Instead, we honor God by declaring as witnesses the full truth of the gospel and leave the work of drawing to God the work of God and the transformation to the Holy Spirit. For any other method has the great potential of leaving people to, the, to die in their sins apart from God. God is faithful to do his mighty work of salvation with no need on our part to adapt the message. It's such an insane message, and yet here we stand, we believe. John chapter 6, verse 37 through 40, Jesus gave us this incredible promise. He said, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of him who sent me, that all that he has given me I lose nothing, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in him will have eternal life and I myself will raise him up on the last day. Jesus said, all that the Father gives me will come to me. You see, the same power that drew you and I and transformed us is the same power that will draw and transform those who are his. Our responsibility is nothing more than to declare this wonderful message. Having said all that, I want to read to you the most comprehensive call to salvation in all the Bible. Now that we know it isn't up to our uh, ability to convince or compel people to believe, we need to know what the exact message of the gospel is so we can get busy about sharing it. Look at James chapter 4, verse 7. This is our main text. We won't get too much of it today. I'll simply read it, but tomorrow we'll pick it back up and break it apart and unpack it. James chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. He says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Verse 9. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of our Lord, and he will exalt you. Packed in these verses are ten commandments given to us by James concerning the call to salvation. You know, many theologians believe that this is written to believers to sort of clean up their act, but they're missing the whole point of James' epistle. The book of James is written to those who claim to believe, yet by their lack of fruit, he calls their faith dead. And so he makes it abundantly clear what the gospel is here in this passage. Join me tomorrow as we go through these verses to learn what the truth of the gospel is, because it is in the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes.